All right, it's good to be with everyone this morning. They get that let even people like me in the old man's club get up here once in a while. When I came here, it was like a young people's church. I was like, man, how am I going to fit in? But hey, I totally do now. <laughs> so, as you know, we're in a series called You're Not Alone. And that's uh, done a great job starting us off with shame, will I ever be enough? Last week we looked at busyness and will I ever have enough time? If you were here last week or you saw the video, uh, one of the questions that came out of this is, is, I don't have enough time because I have the wrong priorities. And so if we follow Jesus, we will learn to get the right priorities. We're living wrong priorities, we will not have enough time. But today's theme is much more disturbing. For not only do we have the wrong priorities, but our priorities are self-destructive. When we look at addiction, we're looking at a mystery. We're looking at something that's so baffling, cunning. We're looking at something that we all can relate to, and some of us are going to be thinking how to handle this. We've been maybe looking forward to this particular theme. Uh, some of us are feeling very uh, sad and overwhelmed. Some of us are feeling confused about the power of addiction in our life or our loved ones. And so we're glad you're here. And uh, to help us with that, I'm inviting a friend, a good friend of mine from uh, the community here, Joe Denker. And he's going to share a little bit about his experience. Come on up, Joe. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, everybody. And good to have you, brother. Thank you, Brian. Good to be here. So, Joe, tell us a little bit about your world. You were um, working as a certified alcohol and drug counselor for how many years? Ten years. Ten years. Okay, great. Not currently, but yeah, yeah. Been doing something else for the past four years, but I was a certified alcohol. I'm still a certified alcohol and drug counselor. I just don't practice. But I practiced for 10 years. Actively. And in that capacity, you also bring something very personal to that experience. That's Share true. a little bit more about that with us. Well, I'm also a uh, recovering alcohol and drug addict. And um, that's sort of what uh, led me to the field of addiction. Hmm. Exactly what led me to the field of addiction. Right. And you were sharing about your experience over at Monmouth University, where I also went. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the first time, well, working as a counselor, um, the one thing that stuck out in my mind was that addiction doesn't discriminate. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't matter what social class you're from, race, creed, color, it doesn't matter what church you go to. Um, I was on the dean's list at Monmouth University the first time I tried heroin. And um, on the outside, you know, everything seemed like I had, a, I had it all together, you know. I was working a couple of jobs. Mm -hmm. um, I'll spare the war stories, but. Um, I was dying on the inside. There was things going on that I really didn't understand. I had no control over. I thought I had no control over. Right. And tell us a bit about what began to turn it around. You're sharing about yeah. even while you're using, something happened. Yeah. Somebody told me that if, um, if I were to get on my knees every night before I went to bed and on my knees every morning when I woke up and prayed to God, um, who, by the way, I really didn't know who God was at that time. But they told me that if I did that, um, I, would, I would be released from the disease of addiction. And, um, and I did do that 
again, not knowing, I, I just took this person, so I was so desperate, I would try anything. Um, and it took about a year, you know, it doesn't happen in, it didn't happen in my time, it didn't happen overnight. It took about a year, but I finally uh, got that reprieve. Um, and I've been clean and sober for 15 years now. Wonderful. A couple weeks ago. Wow. And Joe, you shared about a moment when someone spoke to you about the power of God okay. in your recovery. Could you share a bit? Sure. Uh, I've been about maybe six months clean and sober, and I was, at a, uh, I was in treatment down in Florida. And I was uh, in my living room ironing a shirt, and I felt this feeling come over me like, I, I, can't, I couldn't describe it. It was peace, it was serenity. Um, the anxiety was gone. It, I just... It, it, it was a feeling that I hadn't felt in a long, long time, if I'd ever felt it at all. So I called another friend who, who was in recovery, and I, I described this feeling with him, and he said, you've been granted a state of grace. You're, you're in a state of grace right now. And, um, and I, I hadn't, I hadn't um, at that time, I still didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but I... I felt the spirit of God, and I, and I knew that that was God working in me. And so that was pretty cool. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Very cool. I appreciate well coming here. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> and as Joe shared, maybe some of you are nodding in relating and identifying. And yet some of us are perhaps angry or we're confused or we're thinking about the people in our life who have active addiction. Or maybe we're feeling hopeful about the people that have made strides in recovery. And some of you may be not even sure what to think because maybe addiction hasn't affected your life as powerfully or as closely. But wherever we are today, we want to come to God's word that God may speak to us because I believe, and this is why I want to give you as your takeaway, that the reality of addiction provides a window for followers of Jesus to understand what the spiritual life is all about. In other words, that if we look at addiction as a gift, as a gift of God's grace, to show us as Christians, whether we feel we're addicted or not, as a way, as a window to see what it is, in fact, what the God of the universe does for us in Jesus Christ once and for all. And that is what I offer you a path to follow today as we open up God's Word. Now, I have no words today. I still have to talk, but I have really nothing to provide to you except God's Word. So I totally rely on God's Word today, which we're going to find uh, in the book of Romans. So I'm just going to pray real quickly again for uh, our moment together. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we start with Paul's letter to the Romans. Now, how many of you read Romans? How many of you have a law degree? Okay. It's, it's pretty dense. It's thick. There's a lot going on. Paul is addressing a whole community, and he wants them to be able to see that um, both Jew and non-Jew or Gentile are equally not able to keep the expectations of God. 
And so he's at a point now where we're going to look at Romans chapter 7, where he talks about the, the place of the law or the Ten Commandments in the life of the Jew, but also, also the non-Jew or the Gentile is overhearing the conversation. Now, see if you can relate, and I'm going to read it. Some of you are familiar and some of you are not. Paul writes this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Wow. A lot there. Let's look at it again. This is a picture, right, of contradiction. The gap between what we know we ought to do and the way we actually live our life. Now, I, I skipped a couple verses just to show you the craziness. This is a life living in chaos. Now, Paul is saying here, we know that the law is spiritual. In other words, the Ten Commandments and the law is a good gift. But I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. In other words, under this power. Now, flesh there, as Paul describes it, is not flesh like our body. He uses a different word in Greek for that. That word for our body is called soma. Soma is where we get somatic. The word here in Greek is a different word called sarks. Sarks is actually about selfishness. In fact, an easy way to remember it is just take the word flesh and think of self. Take off the H and go backwards, and there you have what? Self. It is selfishness, the selfish power of what's going on. And so Paul says we are caught in this contradiction because when we cannot live the way we want to live. In other words, God says the law is good, but the more law, the more we miss. The more commandment, the more we see we fall short. He says, for the Jew, this is true about do not lie, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not lust. All these things show us the more law, the more we know our performance does not measure up. But even without the commandments, folks, our own inner law, what we ought to be doing, think about how you and I fall short. Don't get rejected, no matter what. And we still do. Don't disappoint, and we go out of our way to do everything possible, but we still fall short. Don't spend too much money, we know, and the law comes back to say, see, you messed up again. Or don't keep watching Netflix, because they are addictive. <laughs> and we realize all the things we say, don't, don't, don't. After a while, this becomes very oppressive. And Paul's saying this is not the Christian life that God has for us. And so some may respond and say, yeah, it's true. My life is lived in contradiction. But so what? But others would add, my life is lived in contradiction, 
And it's out of balance. I got to admit it. And others would add, my life has lived in contradiction. It's out of balance. And it's killing me. It's killing me. Because what I'm doing, as Joe so eloquently put, I'm dying on the inside. And that's where addiction comes in. If we're going to understand a bit of addiction, we have to learn a little bit behind the scenes of what it's like. But first, I'm going to do it in this form of a person's story. It was a knock on a door in a part of Atlanta that was a crack house. It was a ghetto. And Bill Moyers, the famous PBS newsman, was knocking on the door trying to find his son, Cope. Four days later, earlier, Cope had left his two children, went out for an errand, told his wife he'd be back, bought some crack cocaine, ended up in this house. And he did anything he could to avoid the knock on the door. He says the rain was coming down. He finally gave up. He took one more hit of his crack pipe and gave it up. And then went with the two policemen outside where his father was waiting in the passenger seat. He said his father looked, turned around at him. Here he was, 35 years old, gave up a great career at CNN. He ditched his family, a broken shell of a man. And his father looked at his firstborn son he said, all there was was silence. You're angry, I said to him. I didn't know what else to say. My dad said, that's hardly the word for it. His harsh voice was cold, more silence. He then said, there's nothing more I can do. I'm finished. Cope goes on to write this. All these years later, he tells me that's where the conversation ended. But whether I imagined or not, I heard him say something else. I hate you. And I remember looking into his eyes and speaking my deepest truth. I hate me too. I also work in the field as Joe does three days a week at a drug and alcohol treatment center. And the window of the Christian life, the power of going from hopelessness to recovery has shown me much. And so if we're going to understand something, we need to have a little handle on some of the aspects, what we've learned through science, especially brain science, about the power of addiction. There's certain aspects to keep in mind, and I'll be brief about this. We don't have time to do much. But quickly, all addictions start with a craving. Addiction actually means that you attach to something else. You have an attachment. You pair your behavior with a substance, another stimuli, something else. It could be shopping. It could be uh, gambling. It could be any of these things, as well as substances. And so with craving and using, we get attached. Then we find ourselves having what? Increased tolerance. Before you can watch two Netflix shows, now you can watch 15, okay? <laughs> it's the same with drugs, it's the same with alcohol. 
there is an increased tolerance to get the same impact. The other piece, and this is all going on in the brain, the science is showing us new neural pathways are created through the addiction. Withdrawal. If you stop the thing, you get a feeling. You get sweats. You get stomach aches. You, you get nauseous if it's a substance. These things happen to us physiologically. And then finally, it's inevitable, not always, but for most, they'll experience relapse. As Joe so eloquently put, it didn't take his first time to get clean and sober. Now, if that's all there was, we could stop and just say, well, just don't do it. You know, this is what cycles it back. Last month, my daughter got married in California. It was a great time, uh, man. And uh, I remember the night before the wedding, we all went out to dinner. I ordered some oysters and some mussels, and I was enjoying this shellfish. And man, do you know, I had a reaction. The next morning, my mouth blew up, my tongue, I couldn't even, I couldn't swallow. I said, what happened to me? Oh my gosh. And uh, yeah, I talked to my family, and her mom said, oh yeah, uh, you, you had a reaction. Go, you have to go see a doctor. So I ran down to a clinic. I got a steroid shot, and it all went away. Now I know, now, not to eat shellfish. <laughs> Don't do that. It'll get a reaction. But I think on Tuesdays, I can eat shellfish. Or if it's in a recipe with a bunch of pasta, I can eat shellfish. Or if I wait a year, I can eat shellfish. As you're listening to me now, you're thinking, that's crazy. Why would anyone do this? This is the part that we look at, the mental part. And that is what the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous called the obsession of the mind. That next time, I will do it differently. Next time, it will be different. This is the tragedy of addiction, as those of us who work in it, those who experience it, realize that people will always fall back to permission giving thinking. I need to give myself permission to use the thing that I think will help me, no matter what the consequences. I'll call this client I work with, Walter. Walter told me this story as I worked with him. I said, Walter, could you write that down? I won't use his real name. To understand what this is all about, this is what he said. I used dope and lost a lot of money. But I told myself, I'm getting paid well, so it's fine. I still have some savings. I got arrested. I lost my clean record, my job as well. But I said, it's my first offense. I'll get off with no conviction. It's like nothing happened. I kept using, it was strike three. I had to go to rehab. But I told myself, if I go away, my mom will let me come back home. I kept using, and I had an asthma attack. But I told myself, it's not because of the drugs, it's the weather. I told myself, I lost a good job, and they said it's because I missed too many days, but I kept using, because I told myself, I can always get a new job, plus I can collect unemployment. I kept using, I lost my internship. I kept leaving early to cop dope. But I told myself, they're lying. They just didn't like me, and I didn't like it there anyway. I kept using and lost self-respect. I started stealing from my mother, including her jewelry, and sold it for dope. I told myself, she won't notice. 
I won't use a credit card. I'm real slick. I kept using and lost trust in my mother, who kicked me out, and my girlfriend broke up with me. But I told myself, they just don't get it. I kept using and lost my soul. But I told myself, this is too much. I can't go on living like this, but I'll deal with it tomorrow. Friends, this is not only true with substances, but it's also true with behaviors. Gambling is at its worst these days. It's become legalized. Shopping, yes, electronics. But also online, one of the worst things that has plagued the church is online pornography. They say now, and this is not only true of our nation, but of MoCo, of the people around us, but also in the church, that recent statistics show that seven out of 10 men are actively viewing pornography online who go to church, seven out of 10 in the church. And women are going up to maybe between three and four women out of 10. That's a lot. Now I knew back in 2001, I was one of those people and needed help. But I was not the person in the pew, I was actually up here where I'm standing now. And I realized if I didn't find a way to get help, my life would fall apart. See, it didn't matter the impact it had on my marriage and on my children. It wasn't enough because I had what? Permission giving thinking. So eventually, I was able to get help. So my phone, it's locked down. My computer is locked down. In fact, there's people here in this congregation that help me and keep me accountable. I share this because I want to say I'm not alone. There's more of you out there that struggle like this. This whole series is about not being alone. So here's the point. In these attempts to break power, we find that like sin, so also is like addiction. Right? Because in the end of the day, it's not filters and blocks that keep me free, but it's something stronger than this. The law by itself creates what we call, and Matt said it two weeks ago, shame. The cycle of shame, I can't do it, I can't do it. Not only am I guilty, but I'm also not worth it. And so if we substitute the word addiction for the passage we looked at, we see in fact on the bottom here, but it is no longer I that do it, but what? Addiction that dwells within me. It's almost like a foreign power, right? That this, this scene, this picture of what Paul paints is so disturbing that we know we are brought to our knees in paralysis. We cannot stop. And what I want to do, I can't do. So Paul cries out at the end, it's addiction that dwells in me, it's sin that dwells in me, it's a power that's stronger than me. Who will rescue me from this body? This is a cry of the addict, but it's also the cry of the person trapped in sin. It's a cry of you and me. Do you relate? Wretched man, wretched woman that I am, who will deliver me from the bondage of this power? It's a foreign power. And so now we're ready to move, as we say in recovery, from step one that we admit we're powerless to step two, there's a power greater than us. This is good news. We're now gonna move 
and, and surprise, spoiler alert, that chapter 7 of Romans was really not, in the end, a picture of a Christian. Now, we can debate about this. A lot of people will. Is this a Christian? Well, it's, it's a person in struggle. But in fact, it's really Paul setting up a person who doesn't know Jesus, who tries to make things right as a Christian, but is living under the power of the law. So Romans 7 ends us, right, friends? It puts us in a place. It ends up showing us the wretched man or woman. But that person is not a picture of a Christian. I hate to burst your bubble. This is a person living under the law of performance. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, but I do, I do, I do, don't, don't, do, do, don't do, and I find out I can't do it. Paul turns the corner to chapter eight. And if there's anything you get today, this is the time to wake up, turn the heat down. Get this, get this. Everything changes in chapter 8. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who can rescue me? He can. There is therefore now, what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now underline this. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Wow. Wow. This is the gospel. This is what's true now. Chapter 7 is a picture of a drama, but it's of a a, a place and a a story that's fading away. The new life, the new reality of Jesus Christ happens here in chapter 8. Because over 2,000 years ago, listen, Jesus came on the scene and he broke the power of the law. He said, guess what? No surprise. You can't keep the law. I'm going to fulfill it for you. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to pay your penalty, and from now on, the law will have no claim on you. Amen? This is good news. Now we're in a new place of call of the Spirit. A new land, a new force, a new reality has come. Can I give you an illustration? Law. We think of natural law. Think of the law of gravity. All right? Here, do this. Put your arm up if you can. How long can you hold it up for? Yeah. Eventually what happens is the law of gravity will pull in. Now, the thing is, no matter where you are on this planet, how good you are, how smart you are, how much money you make, no matter where you go, you will eventually cave in to the law of gravity. That's just the way it is. Now, the spirit brings a new law, and it's more like buoyancy. Now, if you're you know, in the ocean, how long could you hold your arm up? Long time, right? The Spirit of God announces a new law, which is in Christ, 2,000 years ago, He set us free and gives us the power of the Spirit who now surrounds us, and we now dwell in the Spirit. The Spirit is living here now. We are in Christ Jesus, which means we're not under the law. We're not under performance. Do we still mess up? Yes, but here's the difference. With buoyancy, We are not also lifted by the Holy Spirit, but when we mess up, there's a current. Amen? The Holy Spirit has a current, and that current pulls us close to Jesus. Thank you, brother. I need a water. (laughs) To 
live under the law means failure. To live under buoyancy means when we fail, we are pulled back by the current of the Holy Spirit into this place where we connect with God. Amen? Friends, if you're living under the law, you're missing the gospel. The gospel says you will always fail, but the life of the Spirit is where we live now. This is good news. It's a picture of grace. We are brought to our knees and we say, I can't do it. And then a miracle appears. Now there is no condemnation. Do you still find yourself condemning yourself? Wondering, will I ever measure up? Stop trying. Now, let's face it, when you, when you get rescued, right? Like you're in water and, and, you, and you, you need the lifeguard to come get you. What do they tell you? Don't fight against the lifeguard. Work with the lifeguard. You have to cooperate. But the power is the buoyancy that pulls us. Hallelujah. I thank God for Jesus Christ who saved my life when I was 18 years old, not knowing all the issues I would face, all the struggles, all the strongholds. But he has shown me, Brian, you will never be loved more by obeying the law. In fact, I gave you the law to show you can't. This is good news. So, I want you to practice this. Say, Abba. It's a great word. Abba. Abba. It means daddy. Right? Coming to God and saying, no longer, says Paul, do we have a spirit of fear that drives us to what? That drives us to slavery, to performance. He says, now come and just say, Abba, Father, I want to be with you. I, want, I want, don't want to be in, in fear anymore. This is our birthright. Live in the buoyancy of what the Holy Spirit has done. Amen. And you will find, as Joe shared, and also, as Cope Moyer shared, something called grace. This is what Cope writes at the end of his book called Broken. Before recovery, it was all about me. William Cope Moyers, the little boy Cope who couldn't cope, the teenager who adored his father, but came to bitterly resent his success, the man who blamed all his problems on others and obsessed endlessly about the hole in his soul, if, as if he had a birth defect that denied him happiness. Now, it was all about God. Instead of drugs, what I need is God. What I need is God. Friends, this is good news to share, that in the end, what addiction does, it reminds us we are made to give our life to something else. Because addiction takes, listen, it takes our desire and it uses up our desire in something that's a lie, it's a counterfeit. It's, it's, it's giving us false promises. God made us for desire and our desire is to be desiring God. Oh Lord, I want you. And if you can't say, Lord, I want you, say, Lord, I want to want you. Right? Can you say that? Lord, I want to want you. Because the desires I have are, are created for you. This is what recovery teaches us. This is what Bill Moyers taught us. The gift of addiction, as it's put in arrest, is the gift of desperation. Lord, I can't live without you. And so, today, do you believe the good news? The life that you live has been transformed. If you're living under the law, we got it wrong. We have to live under the gift of buoyancy, the gift of the Holy Spirit. As we Think about what we need to do today. I'll give us a couple takeaways to take with us. The first one is 
Live the good news. Move from the power of the law to the power of the Spirit. Give up trying to perform. Give up living under the tyranny of the law. But move to the power of the Spirit, the buoyancy that says, Abba, Father, Abba, Daddy. I challenge you, spend five minutes a day, quiet, find a place and be still and allow that desire to come out. Lord, I desire you. Or if you can't pray this, I desire to desire you. Can you do that? I desire to desire you. Because all these other things in my life are competing for my desire. And if I give in to the lies of addiction, I will be fooled and end up selling my soul like our friend Gary has done. I'm sorry, like my friend Walt has done. Now, here's my challenge. Take a week, or maybe you can't do that. Take three days. If you can't do that, take a day. If you can't do that, do a few hours. But live in the absence of something, something that's got a grip on you. Live in its absence, or live without it attached to you. Go a few days without Netflix. Go a few days without drinking. Go a few days. If you have an issue with pornography on your phone or computer, get that locked down. Learn to live in the absence of something and in that cry to say, Lord, I desire to desire you. And also, think of a person that you know, this is a courageous step, that needs to know they're not forgotten, they're not lost, that struggles with addiction, that it doesn't matter how many times you fall, how many times you go to rehab, how many times you struggle, you break your promises, you are welcome back. Park Church welcomes you. This is a place not that will shame you, amen? We need to get that message out to friends who are isolated in addiction, that they can come here and find a place that's home. Maybe there's someone you're thinking of right now that's coming to your heart to find a time to text to call them and sit with them and say, you know what? I find the higher power. And that higher power, his name is Jesus. Jesus is the higher power that breaks all other powers. Do you believe it? Are you ready to move from the law to the spirit? Romans 7 is over. We are not perfect, but we struggle with the buoyancy of the Holy Spirit. As the band comes up, I'm going to lead us in prayer and invite you to if you want to you put your hands out to notice that we're, we're empty. We fall to our knees with empty hands, open hands, and we ask God to fill us. I'm going to lead us in a prayer based on a song some of you may remember. Oh Lord, oh Lord, I want to call you Abba, Abba Father. For this is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your very presence living in me. This is my daily bread. This is my daily bread. Your very word spoken to me. And I'm lost without you.
and I'm desperate for you. I'm lost, Lord, without you. I'm desperate for you. On my own, I'm lost. But with your spirit, I'm home. 